This program contains adult content. Is there a God? A big atheist. Really? What am I, an idiot? Come on. But yes, it would be nice if you could throw your sins and your responsibilities on someone else. But it's not true. It looks like far left lunacy. I don't believe that it's true that religion is moral or ethical. You don't need to follow anybody. It's not human intelligence. If someone doesn't value logical consistency, what logical argument are you going to give them that will demonstrate that they should? Welcome to the Godless Revolution. Today is Friday, August 25th. This is episode 170. Jesus. <laughs> Fucking Louise Dreyfus. One seven zero. Uh we have shifted recording days from Monday to Friday. Yeah. That's, that's a big a, shift. It is a big mm-hmm. shift. And we're going to shift release date to Wednesday from Monday. Hopefully it'll be Wednesday. I'm not guaranteeing oh. anything. I'll have to see how, how this w- shakes out. Cause Yeah, because I fucked everything up. Way to go, Ryan. That's, you know what? If I'm hired to do one job and do it well, it's fuck everything up. <laughs> <laughs> this week it should be okay. I've got Monday off, but nice. I've got a bunch of shit I gonna need to take care of Monday as well, but shouldn't be too bad to edit the show, I think. Uh, coming up on tonight's episode, we have an interview with Mr. Thomas Westbrook from the Holy Kool-Aid YouTube channel. I uh, met Thomas at the American Atheists Convention last weekend. And he's a delightful person. Yeah. All around cool fella. Yeah. Very, very nice. Very intelligent. Very well spoken. And his YouTube channel has a lot of great videos out there. It does. Yeah. Uh, and they're not super long. They're condensed down to five or ten minutes. Just really cool shit. Yeah. Uh, what did you guys do over the last week and almost two weeks, I guess, since we last recorded? Well, since we last recorded, I think I've been home twice. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Just working? Yeah. Well, it was, our, it was our shift change, which is why we shifted the schedule. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I went to work Wednesday, got off work Sunday, went and worked on a set, got out home from that at four in the morning on Monday, slept through the eclipse while everybody was calling me and asked me if I was taking eclipse photos. <laughs> you slept through the eclipse? I didn't get home till 4 a.m. Oh, what, were, what set were you working on? Uh, as a buddy's, is it? Can you tell us? What, I, didn't, what, I signed a bunch of stuff. I don't know if one of them was a non-disclosure agreement. <laughs> <laughs> I just signed shit. <laughs> no, it was for uh, some friends that were doing a- They're uh, coming to collect your kidneys uh, tomorrow. Yeah, they might. <laughs> uh, a Sundance film or a Sundance submitted film oh, yeah. that they're- Shoot, finishing up shooting on, so. Shoot, finishing, shoot up on. Yeah. No, not shooting up. Hmm. Awesome. But yeah. You, Mr. Match, you, is the wife home? She is home. Yep. And not really much else except, like what I was telling you, with my dad's health issues. Yeah. But yeah, Danielle's back and. Did you have a good trip? Still, yeah. Yeah. A lot of walking, a lot of stairs. Yeah. But she saw a lot of cool stuff and took a fuck ton of pictures. Nice. Yeah, I've I the uh, I don't think I've traveled out. Of, oh yeah, well I've been to Mexico, but I have not traveled out of the country. Other than that, I need to change that. I've traveled out of the country a lot. Well, <laughs> yeah, to desert, yeah, arid countries yeah. for for and a I, job. And I've still never had a visa <laughs> or a passport. Oh really? You don't have a passport? No, I need huh. to get one. Hmm. Interesting. Should get on that. Yeah. I guess it's not required if you're going to go kill other people, right? You, like, My job is to you save lives. <laughs> 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 I mean, what like what are they going to say? I, I wasn't I wasn't in the business of killing. 
Oh. I wasn't in the business of killing. I was in the business of saving lives. Yes, sir, son. Whatever that means. Well, that makes the that that voice makes the porn stash seem okay somehow. And the windowless van. <laughs> no, now it's bad again. Oh, <laughs> shucks. <laughs> well, I traveled to South Carolina for the American Atheist Convention. I mentioned that that's where I met Thomas. I uh, had a really uh, good time out there. It looked like you had a lot of fun. I did. It. I don't know. It was weird without having Tracy there. Yeah, yeah. She's kind of my social buffer. Like, I'm I'm a pretty social guy and can she, strike up conversation with most people and everything. But she keeps you from saying fucked up shit. No, okay, no. But she's just that little bit of buffer that if I if there's a lull or a lag or oh, okay. I am just not feeling necessarily up to maintaining a conversation the whole time, she'll fill in the gaps and. Mm. So, yeah, she's a good social buffer. And then, you know, we provide a good excuse for each other to get out of leave the a conversation, you know, <laughs> right. like, oh, well, we are going to go do this or she's hungry yeah. or, you know, or she'll say I'm hungry or, you know, whatever. Just, yeah, it's a good way to excuse well, yourself from a situation. That's when you just drop the line. I really got a shit. <laughs> you know, all this traveling food really isn't sitting well with me. I got to go take a hella dump. Like I just had a, I just had a full pot of coffee. And it's fucking coming out. <laughs> Pot of coffee and a bran muffin. I'll be back in a half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee they're like, oh, take care of that. <laughs> no, I, I had a good time out there. I uh, saw a bunch of people that, you know, I typically only see once a year mm-hmm. or, you know, or less than that if they're, if the conventions aren't that close. Uh, you know, the a- American Atheist Convention is usually in April. Yeah. Or sometime, well, it's. Usually scheduled Around on Easter. Easter weekend. Yeah. yeah. And this year they did it this time of year uh, for the eclipse mm. so that we can all view that. And we saw everything about the eclipse. There was It was stormy, lots of rain clouds moving in, and we would lose the sun every now and then because of, because of heavy clouds. Yeah. But with as bright as it is and wearing those glasses so that you could look at it the solar you could still see it through the clouds most of the time and that was the case right up until about 30 seconds before totality (laughs) and then the fucking (laughs) thick clouds rolled in and the whole sky turned black and Hmm. yeah and so we missed like we saw everything right up until Mm -hmm. totality and then it just got too cloudy am am, am i an asshole if for some reason the back of my mind i'm like I really hope a massive storm moves into Idaho and it fucks everyone's plans up. <laughs> Why Idaho in particular? Well, because Idaho, they had the, the path of totality right here yeah, was ever yeah, over was... Idaho. We didn't get that here. Right. Like the whole total blacking out of the sun and seeing Well, yeah, that. here in Utah, it was here it didn't. not a totality. It was like 92% or 93% what we had here. Yeah. So all it did was, turn, was, was cause my car's headlights to come on. <laughs> yeah, it was very dusky. It wasn't. Yeah. it wasn't dark. It was just like yeah, because everybody had woken me up already. I went to the grocery store thinking, oh, I thought it was at eleven, and now it's eleven thirty when I'm driving to the grocery store. And everybody's standing outside. My headlights turned on. Yeah, it looked muted. The colors. Yeah, yeah. It looked like it was desaturated outside. That was mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it got it got fairly dark there in South Carolina, but I think a large part of that was just because of the really the heavy storm. cloud cover. Like the, I mean, off in the distance, it was just black billowing clouds yeah. like a bi- and a big storm moved in that night just dumped a ton of rain well because supposedly if you're in that that true narrow band of totality in that 99 percent area mm-hmm. uh when it happens you're supposed to be able to see stars come out 
Like, oh, it's yeah. supposed to get that dark that you'll actually see stars. Well, yeah, no. I wouldn't say that. I mean, it didn't get like nighttime dark. It was yeah. like dusk. Yeah, it was after sunset for sure, um, but not not like total nighttime yeah. dark. But it was interesting, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, oh, hanging yeah. out there. Um, Everyone kept asking me. They're like, "Are you going up to Idaho too?" And I'm like, like "Fuck no! Fucking Idaho is not anywhere near worth ten percent of an eclipse." <laughs> Jeez, no. <laughs> Especially when people were saying a, a, a trip that would normally take an hour was taking nine hours that day after it. Hmm. Fuck that! Wow, yeah. just because of all the traffic. Yeah, because of how I-15 was gridlocked. Oh man. Yeah, fuck that. I hate traffic ordinarily. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was a whole lot of fun. Like I said, saw a whole lot of people that I don't see all that often. I, I remember to take my copy of Silverman's book, Fighting God. Yeah. For him to sign because I have it here at the house and he was here at the house and here in the studio with us. And I fucking forgot well, to have him sign the goddamn book. You even book hosted a book here. signing for him. Yeah. Host in a, fucking Salt Lake. Yeah. Host a book signing for him where he's selling books and gave a speech and all that. And I fucking forgot to have him sign the goddamn book while he was out here. So I fly it all the way to South Carolina to have him sign it and finally, I think finally remembered to have him do it. Yeah. Traditionally, flew would be the past tense. Yeah. I thought it was flied. Is it flied? I, okay. I flied it out there. Did I say flied? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I just said, so I fly it out there. Yeah. With me. Anyway. I, I think. Oh, was, you, oh, the book. You yeah. fly the book out. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Matt, he, he flew. The book flied. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen oh, there's tons of uh, animations with flying books, right? Yeah, yeah. Harry Potter yeah. and They've all flied. Cartoons, right. all kinds yeah. of shit. Uh most interesting thing at the convention. Yeah. Well, it wasn't the most interesting thing, but it was really cool. I I sat near Matt Dillahunty uh for a few hours throughout the convention, uh chit chatting a little bit and just watching him practice a lot of his magic tricks oh nice yeah he's got a he's got a, a they, what do they call it a close-up mat or something like that it's oh. like a padded felt mat for doing card tricks and shuffling and hmm. you know doing doing like a pharaoh spread and that kind of stuff and just kind of you know while we're listening to the talks and he's sitting there practicing the whole time mm-hmm. and like a lot of the magic that goes on is just through fucking tons and tons and tons of practice and being able to basically count the number of cards you have in in each hand as you separate the deck out and and cut it Which and split it and shuffle it is insane the, yeah and it's and i mean he was just practicing for hours and hours and hours throughout the day i oftentimes forget that matt dillahunty does uh magic and he's really good at it yeah mm-hmm. yeah very very impressed with uh how well he does there but also, I guess it just never really hit me that a lot of that isn't isn't a trick. You know what I mean? Like they do things to trick mm-hmm. you and draw your attention away, but a lot of it is it's really just physical, just fucking practicing yeah. and yeah, and knowing, you know, being able to basically say that I have exactly split the deck in half in in my hand, and I have half a deck in each hand, and and being able to when you shuffle having it be a perfect shuffle where each individual card from from either side is mixed in like i sat there and watched him you know he'd he'd spread the cards out so that you could see all of the faces of the cards mm-hmm. and it was all arrayed by suit ace through king and then you know he'd bring them back together shuffle them cut them several different times shuffle them again 
spread them out, and it's still ace through king <laughs> in each suit. What the hell? Yeah, it was it was amazing, and I was just like, wow. So is all of that just like being able to practice and and just by touch and feel know what you're doing? And he's like, yeah. I was like, that's pretty fucking amazing. Yeah, and I never really thought about. I that. thought it was magic. <laughs> <laughs> it is magic after. Hundreds and hundreds of hours of practice, I guess. Yeah, that's crazy. But yeah, that was really cool. Um, yeah, got to hang out with a lot of really awesome people. The probably the funniest thing, sort of, <laughs> on was on my way home. I flew from South Carolina to Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Had a layover there, and then from flew from Georgia back home. But my flight out of South Carolina left there at, shit, I don't even remember. But it was like a whole day of travel. Like I checked out of the hotel. Layovers. Took the shuttle to the airport, you know, waited around there for a couple hours, got on a plane, flew for an hour and a half, landed, had a two and a half hour layover, I think. But Atlanta's a good airport to have a layover at least. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Oh, and, and there... You know, when I got to the airport, uh, Phil Ferguson was <laughs> just happened to be at the Atlanta, Georgia airport also on his way home. And, you know, on Facebook, it'll tell you if you have friends nearby. Yeah. So I just opened my phone and it said, Phil Ferguson is nearby and has waved at you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. So I just sent him a wave back and he's like, hey, are you in the airport? When does your flight leave? And so he, he was at like an entirely different concourse in the airport and hopped on the airport train and came over and met me and uh went out came and sat with me while i had a had a beer and some lunch yeah. he had already eaten but yeah just got to sat and visit with him for a little bit um but so then i fly home and my flight back into salt lake didn't arrive until midnight so tracy is at the airport waiting for me and she's sitting in the little waiting area that they have where they've got the big sign of all the flights coming mm-hmm. in so that you can you know, park your car there, and then when the flight arrives or you get a message, you can just leave that little parking lot and go to the passenger pickup area. Well, apparently while she is sitting there, she decided that she wanted to listen to the stereo in the car, and instead of just turning on the just the stereo portion of the power or whatever, she turned it on to where the headlights came on and the AC came on and the radio's on and sat in the parking lot for I don't know how long. And my flight lands, I get my bag, I send her a text message. Hey, I'm, I've landed, I've got my bag, I'll be at the passenger pickup number seven. And I get a text message from her back and it says, Car's dead. Car battery's dead. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, man, I'm fucking tired. I've been, you know, we, we partied until pretty late the night before. Yeah. And then I got up, had to pack everything, leave, and then I've just been traveling for like 12 hours. And so I just, I just, my one word response was awesome. (laughs) And I just sat there like, I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm here. You're there. I can't, I can't do anything from here. So she had to find, find some nice Samaritan there in the parking lot to give her a jump start. Well, the the airport will do that for you. Oh, will they? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, she just, she found a couple guys who were waiting for another yeah. flight who came over and jump-started the car for her. <laughs> <laughs> huh. And loaded the bags, came home, and yeah. 
then was tired for a couple of days recovering. Yeah. Traveling doesn't seem like it should be exhausting, but for some reason it really is. Yeah, well, and it wasn't just the travel. I mean, it was, you know, what you were staying having a, up really yeah. late and drinking and socializing and then getting up and spending all day listening to talks or chatting with mm. people and drinking. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. Did a lot of networking. Um yeah. Talk to a bunch of different people that we will be having as guests on the show coming up. Awesome. Uh, and yeah, it, it was, it was just really nice to see everybody that I don't get to see nearly as often as I'd like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really, really, really like a lot of the people in the atheist community who go to the conventions and everything. They're just, everybody's very nice, very friendly, uh, really warm and, Always excited to see everybody else that they don't get to see nearly nearly as often as they'd like as well. So it was a good time. All right. Well, let's move on to our interview with Thomas. Hi, this is Yvette Dontremont, a.k.a. The Cybabe, and you're listening to Godless Revolution. You can find me at Cybabe.com, at my Twitter account, at The Cybabe. And if you've hunt really hard, you can find me at Pornhub. I dare you. If you know the future, you can't have free will. Because the future is fixed. There's no period of indeterminacy between now and then where you could change your mind. I might decide I'm going to have coffee tonight after we go out. But I could change my mind in the meantime. I have the freedom to make that choice. So if God is defined as a being with free will, who is omniscient, who knows the future, then that God is a married bachelor, and that God not only does not exist, that God cannot exist. And there are dozens of incompatible properties between God that show that by definition, Mathematically, logically, the God you believe in cannot exist. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. All right. On the line, we have Mr. Thomas Westbrook of the Holy Kool-Aid YouTube channel. How are you doing, Thomas? I'm fantastic. How are you guys? Doing really well. Thank you very much for asking. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I had watched maybe one or two of your videos in the past, but... Uh, we hadn't ever met or anything. And I, I happened to meet you last weekend at the American Atheists Convention in South Carolina. Yeah, it was, it was so epic. We blotted out the sun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I was just immediately taken with just what a warm and nice, awesome guy you seem to be. And yeah, so I wanted to get you on the show. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to have you on the show. So basically the way we do our interviews is um, we want to introduce you to our audience who may have never heard of you before, who may not know anything about you. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, how far back do you want me to go? Let's start from the beginning. Not <laughs> like from creation or your creation maybe. <laughs> but, but <laughs> Well, I was, was going to go from the first time you saw light. It. It's, in the beginning, there was a big bang. Well, wh- th- that happened after my mom and my dad loved each other very much. But, <laughs> <laughs> but putting my parents' sex life aside, I was born in Los Angeles, but I moved to um, the, the former Soviet Union when I was about three years old to a Muslim country right after the Berlin Wall fell. Mm. And I spent about 15 years of my life uh, traveling around um, all over everywhere from Turkey to Afghanistan to every country in the middle. I studied abroad in Russia and Kazakhstan. I've uh, 
you know, I, tr- I try to, to, I think that travel is an excellent way to learn and grow and it broadens the mind and it gives you a whole new perspective on life. And so I've tried to, you know, see as much of the world as I possibly can. But being raised overseas as a missionary kid uh, filled me with a lot of indoctrination. And, you know, I took a lot of it at face value. I took a lot of it for granted, all my religious upbringing. And it wasn't really until I started going to college that I I began asking uh, questions about my faith. And, you know, I'd always been a curious kid, but once I I started learning about science and seeing some of the stuff that didn't match up, then, you know, I figured that I wanted to go wherever the truth led. And if something was true, it would withstand any scrutiny that I threw at it. And the more I scrutinized, the more it fell apart. And eventually I, I became an atheist and now I'm the black sheep of the family. And I take everything that I learn in, um, about religion, about science, about philosophy. And I try to break it down in a really laser focused way, five to 10 minutes and, and just give a presentation on it, um, for my audience. And apparently it's really taken off. So I, I started a YouTube channel called Holy Kool Aid. It's the name of it. And it's, you know, it's it's taken off a lot. Apparently, there's a uh, a demand for educational content like this. Well, and I I was struck and really impressed at how well done all of your videos yeah. are. Mm-hmm. Do you do all of the uh, animation for all of them? Um, yeah, I'm a, a one man crew, so it's all uh, it's all done by me. None of it's outsourced yet. I would like to eventually be able to hire, um, you know, once I actually have a budget for it to hire an animation studio or or hire some virtual assistants and stuff. But right now it's just me. Hmm. How long have you been doing the YouTube channel for? Uh, about a year full time. I started, well, I, I started a little bit longer than that uh, before that, but I would just like, I put out a video and then like four months would go by and I wouldn't release anything. And then uh, right around the fall of last year, I decided I was going to make it a, a monthly and then a twice a month and then trump got elected and i was like wow we have a lot of work cut out for us and <laughs> so it became a weekly show and I'm, I'm hoping to you know increase my output time to twice a week here pretty soon if if i if, if i can maintain that without burning out we'll see maybe i missed it but did you say what flavor you were of theist what flavor yeah i was well protestant non-denominational but probably closest to pentecostal you know, I believed in, you know, I, I remember as a kid even thinking, you know, if, if I got sick with cancer or something, then I'm going to turn down medicine in order to show God how great my faith is and have him heal me. And dangerous flavor, the the dangerous flavor. And, and it's weird because my parents are, they're pretty skeptical on just about every other aspect of life. So, you know, they don't believe in Bigfoot or aliens or reptilians or any of the nonsense conspiracy theories floating around about you know, 9-11 being an inside job or chemtrails. But when it comes to their faith and their religion, they literally swallow it whole and they, they take it literally. But that's kind of off limits in most people's brain, though, isn't it? It's, it's sort of over here in this other area that doesn't get scrutinized. Uh, it seems to be very common uh, dissonance, I guess. that. Well, it's, it's like there, it's, it's the unquestionable segment that's put up on a pedestal where anything else, you know, if, if you ask them, you know, why do you think that people believe in ghosts and stuff? Well, in their case, they would say that it's it's probably demons and not actually ghosts. But, you know, that some weird supernatural paranormal claim, you know, they would, you know, you could point at what's going wrong in the brain to cause these kinds of hallucinations. You know, so I did a video on sleep paralysis where I talked about I've experienced it at least a dozen times in my life. 
And the first time it happened, I thought it was demons. And then I experienced it once, you know, I, I learned about the science behind what's actually going on in your brain. And to, to your audience listening who doesn't know what sleep paralysis is, it's when you, you wake up from sleep, but you're, you're frozen and paralyzed in your bed. Your muscles can't move. And it's cause, you know, your brain paralyzes your muscles while you sleep to prevent you from rolling over, falling out of bed, thrashing, hurting yourself. And sometimes there's a misfiring and you're paralyzed and you can't move. Well, when something like that happens, you know, you wake up and you're not entirely alert. You're not completely awake. And oftentimes you will feel things that aren't there. So like your, your sense of proprioception is off, uh, which is your, your body's sense of awareness of, of spatial awareness. You know, it allows you to close your eyes and touch your fingers together. And if, if that's off, you know, you might have a sensation that you're floating off the bed. Uh, sometimes you might have hypnagogic hallucinations and you think that you, that there's a dark presence in the room. It, they can be auditory or visual hallucinations. And we know that it's a construct of the brain. We're able to um, analyze this and figure out what's going on. And it's it's not supernatural at all. And people's experiences when they have sleep paralysis are completely based on their cultural uh setting. So if, you know, right after Roswell, New Mexico, people started having sleep paralysis experiences that were like uh, alien abductions. No, that's and, how they were interpreted. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there are people who, you know, have, they'll, they'll talk about, you know, oh, I woke up and I was pinned to my bed and there was this evil thing in the room. And depending on where you are in the world, sometimes it's, you know, your dead relatives. Sometimes it's a succubus or an incubus or a goblin or a demon or an alien or you know, it can be anything based on what you've been exposed to. So for me, I actually, I, I had the benefit of experiencing it as alien abduction, as intruders, as demons, as zombies one time. Like it was th the weirdest thing ever, but every single time I knew exactly what was happening and I don't believe in any of that stuff. So you can take something like this with the most skeptical Christian and say, like, look, here's the science behind this. And they're like, oh, yeah, of course, that's why people would believe in alien abduction or zombies or whatever. And, you know, you'd lay that out and they'd look at the, the brain science behind it and it's completely reasonable to them. But then if you suddenly switch it on their religious belief that's become so entrenched in who they are, they've, they've you know, developed a emotional attachment to that kind of a belief, then suddenly their walls go up and you say, well, this is where, why people believe in demons. And you can look at not just that, there's, you know, a hundred different other paranormal uh, type of experiences that, you know, I've, I've started a series. I've only done a couple of videos. I did one on near-death experiences, and I'm hoping to do a couple of, of other videos like this. But you can look at the science of uh, why do people experience this? And, you know, one example is infrasound. So if you if you walk into a room and there's a sound, you know, a vibration or a rumbling or something that's caused, whether it's by an air vent or an earthquake tremor or whatever, a volcano or something, that your body has a natural response where you can't hear it. It's below the frequency that you can actually audibly perceive, but you can still sense it. So like you're, if, you know, the, the bone in your inner ear, like your jawbone or something might kind of feel the slight vibrations. And it causes a panic response in some people. It causes some people to, to freak out or feel like there's, you know, their life is in danger. Maybe their hair stands on end. They get, you know, a, a chill run down their back. But if you actually look at, you know, oh, hey, there's, you know, this is what's causing it. 
then it makes sense. Or people who maybe have sleep deprivation, which can cause hallucinations. People have uh, drug-induced hallucinations. People have all kinds of experiences that are explainable, and yet they'll attribute them to whatever supernatural thing they adhere to. And so it's really dangerous when we take something, you know, like a religious belief system, and we make it such a huge part of our identity that even when we're presented with evidence, you know, to the contrary, that people are still willing to go out of their way to follow blindly, you know, whatever this this belief is because they don't want to give it up. Well, it's about it's about feelings, right? It's about how how this thing uh, relates to their emotions and not about how the, you know, uh, maybe it's unappealing that the universe doesn't give a fuck about what happens to our life in our lives or even to us at all, you know? And so that, you know, it makes, it's a much more emotionally, uh, there's much more of an emotional draw to, uh, having an afterlife and a God who cares and all that kind of thing. Well, I think it comes down to, you know, if, if you have something, let, let's say that, that I take you into a, an art museum and I show you the most beautiful painting in the room. And I say, you know, this painting was painted specifically for you by the artist because he loved you and he just wanted to show you how, you know, wonderful you are by painting this. Well, yeah, you might get a bit more of a rise and a bit more, you know, excitement out of it. You're like, oh, wow, this is all for me. But then if, if you go into the same art museum and you don't have that narrative, you're still able to experience the art and the beauty of it and, and have a sense of awe and wonder and excitement getting to see the painting without it having to be specifically for you. You know, this to, to think that the universe was made just for us with us in mind, like, that's an incredibly arrogant position to have. But I can still stare up at the cosmos and be absolutely in awe of the wonder and beauty of it without having some type of egocentric notion that it's all done with me in mind. Yeah, of course. I think that was a great answer. I I just think these are humans we're talking about, so uh, it's it's going to end up being selfish and and <laughs> narcissistic in some way. Usually, I, I'm a misanthrope. Well, but, uh, just in case you didn't know, <laughs> that's my role here generally. Well, the the other notion that that I often get is people say, you know, why would you rob someone of this, you know, religious belief, you know, it's like, well, first of all, they're coming to me. I'm not forcing this down anyone's throat. So like if, if they want to listen, they can, if they want to, you know, to change their mind, they can, I'm simply contributing to the free marketplace of ideas. But the other thing is simply the notion that, you know, oh, they need religion to get them through the day and you're stealing something wonderful from them. I'm like, wait a second. Let's say that, that, you know, you come in, I think it was uh, Robert Ingersoll that gave the analogy of if someone goes to the doctor with a broken leg and the doctor starts telling him all about the wonders of modern medicine and all the different, you know, uh, things that they can do to fix his leg and surgery and drugs and all this stuff, then, you know, you, you suddenly have a, if the man, you know, in the story, the man responds, you know, oh, doctor, don't, please don't take away my crutches. I need them to walk. And if without them, I'll be, you know, utterly lost indeed. And the doctor responds to him with, you know, no, I, I plan to cure you of, of your ailment. And once you are cured, then you'll throw and dis you'll dispose of the crutches yourself. And that's the way that I see religion. And some people, they, they're like, oh, I can't imagine life without religion. And I'm like, no, once you realize that, you know, you don't need it, and that you can have a wonderful, meaningful, incredible life where you come up with your own purpose rather than, you know, having some top-down cookie-cutter purpose dictated to you that's not always in your best interest. 
then when you suddenly realize like, oh, wow, I'm free. I'm, I can choose this. This is the, the beauty of autonomy. Once you grow up to that level, then I think that you'll, you know, you won't feel like you have to have the, the crutch that is religion. Hmm. Is, do you think that's a part of why you started your channel to try to help people realize that they're, you know, don't need the crutches. Yeah. That, yeah. That they're codependent in an abusive relationship. That's not why I started it. Initially, I started it as a, as a way to uh, come out to my religious family and to show them, you know, this is why I don't believe anymore and, and be able to actually lay it out for, you know, five or 10 minutes without being interrupted constantly. Cause I, I get that when I have these conversations. But as I started, you know, making more and more videos like this and getting more and more involved with the secular community and, you know, meeting other uh, atheist activists and scientists and stuff, I, I'd already fallen in. I had already fallen in love with science, and this allowed me to share what I was learning. And as I saw some of the damage caused by religions, it gave me a, a platform to speak out against that and to promote the truth and skepticism and critical thinking and free thought. How, how long was it from the time when you decided, hey, you know, I really don't believe this anymore, till we started doing your channel to actually get out and, and, uh, tried to explain to your parents in a way where they're forced to listen to it i think it was it was about four or five years it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly when i became an atheist because uh when i was i was about 22 and i i really started having some serious doubts and questions but i i decided to give it one more shot and i spent a a, a semester as a missionary and i i was hoping you know hey if if god is real he'll see that i'm really dedicated and devoted to him and you know d during that time i just i started learning a lot more about abiogenesis and about the evolution of the earth and the evolution of of both the geosphere and the biosphere in tandem and i had already known about you know where do simple elements come from and you know stellar nuclear genesis and i you know i already believed in evolution but i believed it was the process god used but as the the puzzle as i started getting a bigger broader picture of you know the puzzle the little pieces that were missing that i said oh that's god and that's god it those pieces were becoming vanishingly small and few and far between and the overall picture of the puzzle was pretty clear that there wasn't really any need for god and the the Bible, I started seeing all kinds of uh, contradictions, um, historical inaccuracies, scientific inaccuracies, and I, I just I finally couldn't I couldn't believe it anymore. But even after you start, even after you stop believing in the Bible, it's like, well, I'm not an activist. I just I love science, and so I spent several years just learning every single topic that I possibly could, just reading book after book, taking all kinds of online courses. And, um, which actually there's, there's courses online for free at places like, uh, Coursera and edX. And even on YouTube, they'll upload entire, uh, semesters worth of lectures on physics from places like MIT and Harvard, Yale, Cambridge, Berkeley, uh, UT, all, all kinds of places. And so I just, and once I found out that I could do that, then I, I didn't stop. Yeah. The knowledge is there. Why, why not consume it? Well, it cuts into your cat video watching time for sure. <laughs> That is true. <laughs> <laughs> so that, oh, that's ahead, very true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, what prompted the move from LA to the Soviet Union when you were younger? Uh, missionary parents. Oh, okay. So they yeah. do, do your parents do missionary work for for a living? Is is being an active member of their church part of what provides for the family? 
Yeah, that that was definitely that that was their full time thing. So you know, it was support driven. Um, but they they've actually they, they kind of retired because they you know they had other things that they were doing and stuff for uh, like for visas. But uh, I don't want to go too much into the details and and stuff of you know where they're at currently because I don't want it to affect them in any negative way. Uh, but it, it was definitely their full time income. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. It, well, and it's interesting that, you know, parents, parents of a kid who is, is atheist or the parents who are so involved in their religion can still end up having a child who is an atheist, right? Do you, do, do they feel like they have failed you somehow? I, I hear that from a lot of people uh, when they come out of a religion when their parents are very, very religious or very intensely religious, very devoted to their faith that they, they feel that not only, and it's, it's not only a sense of betrayal of, of sorts, but that they feel that they have, have let you down somehow that they weren't as good a parent as they should have been, that they weren't as fervent or as faithful or didn't teach you in the right way to follow the right path. Are they, do you, do they feel I don't know, guilty somehow that you have fallen away from religion? I think initially when I first came out as an atheist, they felt a bit frustrated. And they, they even said at one point, they're like, we're not sure that you were ever a real atheist. And I, I immediately, uh, ever a real Christian. And I immediately shot that down because, you know, I, I was as sold out as you could be. You know, growing up, I, I memorized, you know, like the whole Sermon on the Mount, massive sections of, you know, Psalms and Philippians, and, and I read the whole Bible. I read all kinds of stories about different missionaries and about the history of the church. And in addition to that, you know, when I came back to the States, I worked as a church camp counselor two summers. I was a missionary one uh, semester. I One summer was a, a youth pastor. I even started a youth group when I was 12 uh, overseas for just a group of, of local missionary kids. And I put that together for a summer. You know, I was on a church band, I, I Christian fraternity, everything you can possibly imagine. I was, you know, completely sold out for Jesus. I believed in, you know, faith healing. I believed in, uh, I, I never spoke in tongues because I didn't feel like it was genuine. Like I, whenever I would do it, I, I'm like, I just feel like I'm, you know, mumbling crap, and I don't, I don't want to mislead people or be dishonest. See there, you're not a true Christian. <laughs> That's the thing right there. <laughs> but I mean, everything else, you know, I, I would, I'd some, some nights I would stay up all night long just praying, you know, fervently and, uh, and reading the Bible and stuff. And, and it, you know, eventually I, when I left my faith, I'm like, I don't think anyone, if, if, if I wasn't a true Christian, then I highly doubt that there are any true Christians out there. Right. That's a great way to put it because, you know, a lot of Christians will tell you just what you said your parents told you is that, well, we don't think that you were ever a real Christian, a quote unquote true Christian. But, you know, I, most of the people that I know that are in the atheist community were very, very religious at, at one point or another and, you know, m know more about the religion they left than most people who are currently practicing it. And it's through studying that but still being open to new information that ultimately led them away from the religion that they previously held. Most atheists I talk to, and, and obviously I'm, I'm going on the average, but most atheists I talk to in the U S who have any kind of a, a religious background, 
almost always know their Bible better than the average Christian. And I'm saying this as someone who, you know, grew up in the church and and seeing in singles groups that I would go to, uh, like young adults groups, youth groups, uh, you know, Sunday school, what have you, almost always consistently, uh, you know, I would I would be the the kid, the Bible kid who knew his Bible better than most of the others. And then when I left that, I suddenly would go into atheist circles where I'm just like, oh my God, like these people not only know the Bible better than I do, but they know it in like the original Greek, (laughs) you know, (laughs) they're more of Bible nerds than the Christians are. Oh yeah, absolutely. Hi, this is Justin Schieber, formerly of the Reasonable Doubts podcast and currently of Real A Theology, and you are listening to The Godless Revolution. 40%, 45% of the American people believe literally in Adam and Eve, believe literally that the world is only 6,000 years old. Mm. I mean, that's a shocking figure, and Mm. you can't duck out of it by saying, oh, sophisticated theologians Mm -hmm. don't don't believe it. Unfortunately, what sophisticated theologians believe isn't really relevant to what the majority of Christians do believe. The next rant will start right after this. Hey, everybody, this is X. And I'm Kyle. And I'm Felicia. We're the Utah Outcasts. Three out, unashamed, and active atheists living in Utah. And we are personally inviting you to let us love your ears each and every week. As we take the news, current events, and pop culture and give it a little twist. A love twist with consent. And we'll be joined each week by a special guest to tell us what makes them an outcast like us. Come find us. The Utah Outcasts. On PodHell.com, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And on UtahOutcast.com. We finally bought that domain off the kids handing out mixtapes in the mall. Come be an outcast with us. Take care of yourselves out there. Bonne nuit. And you're welcome. You and the Godless Revolution will be reassimilated in three, two, one. Well, how many siblings have you got? Uh, three siblings, two sisters, and a brother. I I will say I'm I'm the only atheist activist in my family, and all of my you know aunts and uncles and cousins and everything like, all, pretty much all of them are are still religious, and they kind of see me as the black sheep. Do they do they treat you as a black sheep? I mean, have you been shunned to one degree or another? Uh, a little bit. I had one uncle tell me that I am just as bad as the religious extremists because I make cartoons. And I said, do you know what religious extremists do to cartoonists? Like, have you seen what happened to Charlie Hebdo? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting, that argument. You you hear that, in, you know, about uh, any number of different topics, you know, well, you know, it takes faith to be an atheist and, you know, all these kinds of things where, where they're comparing the thing that they're trying to say is bad to something they like as the standard for bad. It's like, what, why, why would you do that? I would just say, well, well, faith is so bad. You're even doing it. What, what the hell are you talking about? Well, that's, that's a good point. A it makes no person. sense yeah. to me why they're saying you're just as bad as us. What? I thought you were the... It it blows my mind when people say that. Like, what are you talking about? Well, and and sometimes they'll say, oh, religion is good, but religious extremists are bad. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. So you're saying that a fundamentalist who's taking the fundamentals of your belief system to, you know, literally, then that that is somehow 
a a bad thing. Yeah. So you're basically saying that you're you're a bad Christian or you're you're not a literal Christian. You don't actually believe this like the fundamentalists do. Well, then why not just go a step further and just throw it all out altogether? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not true. And if you really want to believe things that are true, then you'd be honest about it and you would discard the the BS and you would try to follow wherever the truth leads. Yeah, just a pinch of Jesus. Other than otherwise it gets dangerous. Well, it's like what I said in one of my videos is, you know, as an atheist, I can take the positive aspects of Buddhism and Islam and Christianity and Hinduism. I can take the 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 tiny glimmers of gold in the giant turd hill and accept those without deep throating on their dogma. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's talk a little bit more about your videos. What what is your favorite video? I I, I have watched. I don't know. I th- I think I watched six or seven of them today, and you know, four or five of them yesterday. So I've I don't know. I think I've probably watched f- in total fifteen or so of your videos. Um, how many of you? How many do you have out there total now? Um. So, oh gosh, what's the the latest count? Um, let me pull it up. <laughs> uh, apparently, it, it says I have forty five, but I'm not sure if all of those are public because I have a few private streams with like patrons and stuff. Right. Um, but as far as my favorite one, I really enjoyed. There was a video. It took me a month to make, but it was on near death experiences and life after death. And, um, in that video, you know, I talked about all the science behind what do we know about near death experiences and. Uh, you know, what kind of data do we have on it and what do we not have? And then I, I drew a comparison of, um, you know, and how useless near death experience anecdotes are by talking about how, you know, I submitted this, uh, near death experience to a website that just collects anecdotes. And it was about, um, me going to the planet Endor where the robot god C3PO awaited me. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that video, it only has 14,000 views, even though it took me a month to make and animate. And some of the videos where I just like, I'll just go on this rant. You know, I, d- I did one that the, the shortest video I've ever taken to edit was I was in Colorado and I was in a coffee shop and I was like, crap, it's Saturday. I have to get a video out. And like, I went to my car and I just like, I, I just, I typed up like a script in like an hour, went to my car and I just ranted into a microphone because cars make amazing recording studios, <laughs> by the way, if you ever need a portable studio. Oh, that's a good idea. And so I, I just went in, you know, ranted into the mic, came back, edited it, spat it out like three hours later, and that one got a hundred thousand views. So it was like ten times the reach of me just like ranting. So I was like, man, I need to just have more of these uh, where I just go off on something. <laughs> <laughs> well, what were you ranting about in that one? Um, it, well, it was about how uh, oftentimes Christians think that uh, basically it's it's called atheist rant why can't you or why can't theists understand this and it's how oftentimes they feel like they're being rejected and they'll say you know oh why are you rejecting me you know and you're rejecting god and all this stuff and it's like my, the rant is how you know i'm not throwing out you know my family and my friends i'm not rejecting theists just because i'm rejecting the bs that they swallow and uh, you know i i compare ideas to um uh arrows in a quiver where the quiver is your identity and so if if let's say that you know if if i'm actually being honest and i'm not attaching some type of emotional um baggage to an idea 
then I can take ideas and, and discard them. So like arrows out of a quiver and you, you swap them in and out and you, you basically are trying to go wherever the truth leads. So if I come up to you and I say, lightning never strikes the same place twice. And you say, well, actually, the Empire State Building gets struck 100 times a year or whatever the statistic is, then I'm not emotionally attached to that belief. I can be like, oh, that's really cool. I learned something new and I move on. But if I come up to you and I say, you know, have you heard about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And you say, oh, actually, there's no evidence whatsoever that, you know, that there actually was a Jesus or, you know, the evidence that we have is is faulty or it doesn't match up with science or any number of, of different um comebacks that you might have. And if I'm so entrenched in that belief system that it's no longer an arrow, but it becomes the quiver itself, that has become a part of my emotional identity. I I no longer am saying, I believe in Christ. I'm saying, I am a Christian. This is who I am. Then it becomes really dangerous because you're not going just wherever the truth leads based on evidence. You have this emotion, these emotional walls of cognitive dissonance that are preventing you from uh, going and actually following something without any kind of credulity. Hmm. Yeah, actually, I watched that video today. Um, and what I remembered because you, you specifically mentioned that arrow and quiver thing, and it's part of your animation. And I, I think you, in the video, referred to Hindu as, you know, in, instead of saying, I believe in, in, in the Hindu God, it's, I am a Hindu, then it's impossible to discard those beliefs without also discarding part of your self-identity. Yeah, people have identity crises because when they leave their faith, because they've made it part of who they are. Some of your videos also deal with some of the more standard uh, philosophical arguments. And I, one of them, you know, I, I really dislike Prager, uh, but... <laughs> I don't like very many people, to be honest, but there are some apologists that just seem to be slimy and uh, almost intentionally misleading. Um, some of them I don't mind as much, but like Matt Slick, uh, Lee Strobel, Frank Turek, Dennis Prager. I hate those guys. Uh, and you did a whole thing with Prager, and I thought it was really interesting what clips you put together because you were it, it it became this really clear picture of what he's actually not saying that he thinks he's saying um when talking about morality he he's basically saying that it must be grounded in a god and without god it's nothing more than preference is that a fair paraphrasing yeah well what i did in that video and that, that one was actually was one of my favorites was uh I revived Christopher Hitchens. So I have an, an animated Hitch coming back from the grave and, you know, he rides his bicycle into the, the auditorium and, and basically Hitch slaps this video, this bullshit video that Dennis Prager made where Prager's like, without God, you can't have morality. And yeah, sure, you can be a good atheist, but when you get rid of Judeo-Christian values, it ends in Hitler and the Holocaust and, you know, Stalinism and all this stuff. But what was interesting? And, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, and, and basically, uh, Christopher Hitchens and Dennis Prager, they had a history of going at it. So some of the clips that I pulled actually were from debates that Hitchens had had with him, that this video, he completely disregarded the opposite position and just kind of played dumb on this stuff and kept, you know, going at it with his, his rhetorical nonsense. And so I had uh, Hitchens basically address these tropes for me. I didn't even, I didn't even do a response. I just let Hitch do the work. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Um, and I, I, I found it interesting that Prager 
you know, was saying that he, what he, he was, he was clear to say that not all atheists are bad, which is definitely in contradiction to the Bible, which says that no atheist can do any good thing. Well, and, and a fool says in his heart that there is no God. Yeah. Um, but, but he's, he also says that, you know, without God, you can't have morality, but then he also says that just believing in a God doesn't make people any better. So it's completely useless. Even his own morality is completely useless. He just undermined his whole argument and has admitted we're on equal footing. So, mm-hmm. so there's no point to Christianity whatsoever in terms of morality. Does not well, I, matter. I think the difference, the difference that he would say to, to play the devil's advocate of someone after I did a brutal takedown sure. of them <laughs> is that, you know, just because you believe in God doesn't make you a good person. But that without God existing, you don't even have a standard of morality to go off of, which I had actually addressed about uh, a month earlier. I did a video collaboration with a YouTuber called Cosmic Skeptic. And if, if any of your listeners haven't checked him out, he's a, a young British YouTuber. I think he's, he's only about like 18, but he's extremely well-read, very articulate, brilliant guy. And we did a, a collaboration talking about morality. You know, where do morals come from? What is the uh, philosophy behind it? Uh, it's coming up with a moral framework as well as what's the history evolutionarily for uh, moral development. And we addressed a lot of the stuff that, that Prager talks about and, you know, dismantled this concept that morality has to come from God or that, you know, without God, you can't have a moral framework. It's like, well, yeah, there are lots of moral frameworks, you know, it doesn't have to be divine command theory. You can be, you know, like a, a rural utilitarian and, you know, and try to <clears throat> try to minimize suffering and promote well-being. You can have frameworks, you know, like uh, Kant's categorical imperatives and stuff. And some of them are objective frameworks. Some of them are subjective. But regardless of which framework uh, we're looking at, you're still subjectively choosing which framework you're going to follow. Right. Right. And, and, and beyond that, it's still a subject. If you're, if you're arguing theistic divine command theory, it's still subjective, whether that God decides this is good or not. Yeah. You know, what if, what if God says, Oh, go out and, you know, slaughter all of the Amalekite children and take the women as sex slaves. Right. Suddenly it's okay because God said it. Mm-hmm. And you see that a lot. Like if you ever talk to a theist and you say, you know, would it be okay to sacrifice your own child if God tells you to do it? Then, you know, it puts them in a weird dilemma where either they say, you know, yes, that's good, in which case they have absolutely no sense of morality whatsoever. And that's a horrible response. I don't think any parent would ever say, you know, outside of that framework that it would ever be okay to sacrifice your own child. But, if they say no, it's not okay, then, you know, they're basically, they've shown that they're more moral than their God. Yeah. Yep. And Abraham. Yeah. Two key figures in that, in in those religions. Well, yeah. And if they, if they say that, yeah, they would do it if God commands it, well, then they're not, then they themselves don't have a sense of morality. All they're doing at that point is following instructions and direction. They have no personal sense of morality. They're just following orders. Yeah. They're barely even human. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's like at what point does you know does it become okay to, you know, is is it moral to commit horrible atrocities when you're just following orders, you know? And this is kind of a a bit of a um it's a bit of a dilemma when you start looking at war and war crimes. Mhm. You know, 
is it okay to commit massacres and atrocities, you know, because your general told you to do so? Is it okay to do horrible things because God told you to do so? And some people would say, well, you know, you're not responsible for it. But I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who would say that just because you're told to do it by someone in a higher position of authority, that that made the act itself moral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and they can't make this claim to it being an objective an objective truth about morality when they're subjecting themselves to the whims of a god who may choose to be malicious to may choose to be malicious at any point in time right to they're they're sacrificing themselves to the whims of a god who as you said may say to go and kill all of the amalekites and take the women as sex slaves to a god who says that it's okay to have to have other humans as slaves period well, another thing that I get a lot is whenever you talk about morality, they'll say, oh, who are you to to question God without, you know, without a sense of morality and stuff like, you know, God knows what's moral. You don't. You're just a simple human. You know, you're a mere mortal. And that always puzzled me because even within the, the Christian framework, they say that, you know, one, we're made in the image of God. And so, you know, we, we are able to you know, feel and experience all of this stuff in the same way that God does. But then they also say that because of original sin, because, you know, Eve ate this piece of fruit, you know, hunk of banana or whatever it was, you know, that that somehow gave us a sense of right and wrong. And so I'm like, well, that right there tells you that, you know, we have a sense of morality and right and wrong. So we know what, you know, what we should and shouldn't do according to your framework. So you can't come up with this BS saying that, you know, oh, uh, you, you know, you don't know morality, so therefore you can't judge God. It's like, well, this is the moral framework that God created, apparently. You know, something is objectively good, according to you, and we know right from wrong, according to you. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. If that's the case, then we can look at something that God does in that framework and judge whether it's moral or immoral. Right. Yeah, that's... that's Yeah, it, and you can't you can't punish Eve... For doing this when prior to that she had no knowledge of what was good and evil, right? I mean, that's what the Bible says, is that by doing this, then they learn about about good and evil. And so you can't turn around and punish somebody for doing something that they had no idea was wrong in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's it's nonsense anyway. I mean, so if 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 we change that to an analogy, you know, going back to the well, you can't question God because he knows so much more, or whatever. So if 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 we imagine uh you know, and this is for argument's sake, a litter of kittens that are, that are born and don't, you know, for some reason are orphaned or whatever, and they have only each other. And I come along and stomp one of them. That, that other kitten that's now left alone, uh, with the body of its sibling next to him, if it could communicate to me, would be justified in saying you're a fucking monster mm-hmm. <laughs> and I could, I would not be able to respond by saying, well, but what you don't understand is that I know more about morality than you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you fucking know, nonsense. The fact that the very concept of inheriting sin is such bullshit. Yeah. It's, you know, really. So uh, imagine that, you know, I come up to you and I say, you know, Oh, you know, wh- whatever you do, uh, don't go skateboarding on Tuesday. And then you go and you skateboard on Tuesday. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to have to punish, you know, everyone else on planet earth because you went skateboarding. Yeah. That's not, that's not justice. Right. You know? And then if I say, well, I'm going to have to punish all of humanity from now until the end of time and make them burn in hell for all eternity because you went skateboarding on Tuesday. 
that's the same type of nonsense that we're getting. It's like, wait, somebody ate a piece of fruit, and so you punish all of their descendants from now until the end of time if they don't praise you and worship you in the most uh, narcissistic in the most narcissistic way imaginable. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a dick to me. <laughs> that's what a dick sounds like. Yeah, <laughs> he's a Richard. <laughs> the noise of God, schlucka schlucka. <laughs> That reminds me, I saw somebody, somebody sent me a video earlier today. Uh, it's gay guys looking at their own buttholes. I'm oh. not sure why they sent me this video. <laughs> okay. But, <laughs> but, but at one point in this video, one of the guys, one of the guys drops his pants and then just, he's in this booth with like towels around it. But he's standing there and you can see from like mid chest up and he drops his pants and then he just wiggles back and forth and you can just hear this slap, slap, slap on either, <laughs> on either side. <laughs> and that's what dick sounds like. <laughs> well, what, was this, like was this a BuzzFeed video? No. Okay. It's like the, the Louis C.K. bit, bit on, you know, where he's, he's talking about God and this chick's like, you know, oh, God sees everything. You mean he sees us when we have sex? Yeah. Oh, so he's just walking around watching everyone have sex, and he's probably masturbating. <laughs> you know, it's, it's such a, a creepy thing when you think about it that, you know, this guy creates, you know, all of these mammals, and somehow he's obsessed with which where one specific species sticks their wiggly bits. Yeah. You know, and, and that that's out of all the, you know, billions of stars all throughout the cosmos and all the billions of planets and, you know, millions and millions of life forms you know, that are all just getting it on, somehow, you know, he's he's concerned, deeply concerned with the nature of our sex life. Well, porn sites are the most visited sites on the internet. So he did create <laughs> us in his image. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. I always thought it was weird that he would watch me poop. <laughs> like, like, don't you have something better to do, dude? And he also blesses you every once in a while with hemorrhoids and. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so I watched your, you know, we've been talking about the video that you made with Prager and resurrecting Hitchens and having Hitchens put the smack down on Prager's arguments as, as if Prager had never heard anything to the contrary, which really bothered me. Um, so you used Hitchens is, is he. Your your favorite atheist thinker, or do you have a favorite atheist thinker? Hitchens would definitely be up there. Um, I think Harris would probably be a close second. Um, but there, I mean, there are so many people in the movement that you know it's it's easy to point to the four horsemen. But there are so many people throughout the movement that have excellent, incredible books and great points and stuff. Um, as far as intellectuals, I'd probably say those two. Uh, I like the work of uh, Dan Barker. Um, I'm, you know, close friends with a lot of people, uh, including like uh, Dr. Daryl Ray, um, Anth Anthony Magnabosco, if you're familiar with his work with street epistemology. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's there's a lot. Who doesn't love Daryl Ray? Oh, oh Daryl Ray's amazing. amazing. He is a sweet guy. The the guy. So for for your listeners, he started a organization called Recovering from Religion. And he's a psychologist, so it's basically helping people who are, it's not trying to deconvert people, but it's helping people as they leave their faith, if they don't know where to turn, what resources to, to go to. And he just, he's done some incredible stuff. Yeah, yeah. and in fact, he donated his birthday this year to uh, Recovering from Religion. Mm -hmm. And 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I made a donation to that yesterday and made sure to thank him for all of the fine work he does. Oh, awesome. This is Matt Dillahunty, and you're listening to The Godless Revolution. Okay, just, th- just think about the Muslims at this moment who are blowing themselves up, okay, convinced that they are agents of God's will. There is absolutely nothing that Dr. Craig can, can say against their behavior in moral terms, apart from his own faith-based claim that they're praying to the wrong God. If they had the right God, what they were doing would be good on divine command theory. Now, I'm obviously not saying that all that Dr. Craig or all religious people are psychopaths and psychotics, but this, to me, is the, is the true horror of religion. It allows perfectly decent and sane people to believe by the billions what only lunatics could believe on their own. If you wake up tomorrow morning thinking that saying a few Latin words over your pancakes is going to turn them into the body of Elvis Presley, you have lost your mind. But if you think more or less the same thing about a cracker and the body of Jesus, you're just a Catholic. Please stand by. The Godless Revolution will continue in a moment. Here follows a public service announcement for the Two Skeptical Chaps podcast. (laughs) Greetings, Americans. Over here in London, we are well aware that not all of you are loud, xenophobic, racist, sexist, religious nuts. But many of your politicians who display these frightful traits seem to be quite popular. Particularly a certain wall-obsessed, small-handed, best-word-using, daughter-perving, war-inciting, candy-floss-headed clown. To those of you who choose to follow such balderdash, we strongly recommend not to listen to the two sceptical chaps. It probably won't be your cup of tea. Otherwise, give us a listen. Each episode, we cover any news or current affairs from across the globe. Things that annoy or delight us. That's two, as in the number two. And sceptical with a K. The wrong way to spell it. Cheerio! Rejoining the Godless Revolution podcast now. So what beliefs do you did you previously hold that you're now surprised to think that you ever would have believed in the first place? See, that's hard because when you're super religious, obviously, you know, the, just taking the sixth day creation, young earth creation story, literally, that's a, a bit embarrassing. But when you're heavily indoctrinated with it, you know, you kind of start to understand but your religious beliefs really do shape everything else that you buy into. So whether that's being um, pro-life rather than pro-choice or whether that's, you know, believing that, you know, that the death penalty is somehow a, a great idea. Um, well, we're you know, all I, Tea Party guys here, so I don't know. What, are you, <laughs> no, just, just kidding. <laughs> or, or thinking that homosexuality is some kind of abomination and that people are, are broken and horrible if they're, you know, just because they, they love a different, different type of person. You know, I think a lot of that stuff, I'm a bit ashamed that, that I had those beliefs. Mm. Because those are things that, you know, it actually does damage people's lives. You know, there are many, many people who have committed suicide because they feel, you know, shameful or guilty. Sometimes they're still religious and they think that something is wrong with them and that, you know, there's some horrible, sinful person and they're not. Right. You know, people's lives are are damaged and ruined because of, of these types of beliefs. Especially when it comes from a rather religious family member, probably, m- most times, hearing them say that or, to you is... 
Yeah, or even if it's not a personally held belief, if it's something that gets into to politics, you have things like uh, George Bush, you know, blocked stem cell research. Right. And if you, if you think about it, you know, this is something that could have, you know, sped up all kinds of cures and research. And it really is something that if, if you have, you know, a life-threatening disease and, you know, and you have a, a genetic illness that could, um, yeah, it, it could maybe have been cured 10 years earlier, you're going against the clock. People literally are dying. Because, you know, because a cure hasn't been found that maybe could have been found 10 years earlier, you know, if we'd gotten on the on the ball with this. And it, it not only that, but it hurts the U.S. is the, the, the U.S.'s place in the scientific community where we become a laughingstock. Other countries um, take the lead and, you know, they take the ball and they run with it. And, you know, so we're hurting our economy. We're hurting our um you know, place in, in the scientific community, and we're putting ourselves back and kind of making a laughing stock out of the U.S., and people are dying as a result. Wait, so you're saying other countries might be more progressive than the people here that are clinging to a first century book written by cave Jews? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Un- man. Unfortunately, yes. Now, I, I will say, when I look at countries like China, um, you know they they do have a large atheist population but where where i think that they've gone wrong is that it's been a very dogmatic version of atheism it's basically like yep this is this is it you just have to swallow it and believe it whole rather than teaching critical thinking and skepticism and having people come to that that position on their own right and you know learning you know why learning the science behind it and why it's reliable I think that that creates a better type of of atheist, a better type of skeptic. I'm not saying that 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 those people don't exist um, in, in places like China, but I I think that the surge of atheism in the U.S. the positive side of it that I think a lot of people don't realize or we take for granted is that people are coming to this position because we're they're in the free marketplace of ideas, and so their atheism is stronger, and it's it's not solidified in dogma yes yeah i I've, I've mentioned before on the show that i think it's dangerous perhaps that's not the best word it's but i think it's ill-advised for us to count all of the nuns as being part of the atheist group uh, i think you made an excellent point when you said that in countries like china where atheism is the de facto standard that Unless they realize and and are taught why it's best to be an atheist or, like you said, to explore critical thinking and to be a good skeptic, that we run the risk of those people later in life pulling a Kirk Cameron and saying, oh, well, Mm. I was an atheist all my life, and then I found Jesus and the truth and the light, and now I know what's really best. Before, I was just an ignorant atheist. And I think it's fair to say that there are a lot of ignorant atheists out there that they may not have an active belief in a God, but they don't have any good reason to not necessarily. Do you know what I mean? That well, they, they haven't done any, any real searching for a God or searching for the truth or why they should or should not believe in a God. And so I, I think we, we do ourselves a disservice when we count among our own group of religious ideals those who really don't have one either way and don't care. 
I, I would say I was an ignorant atheist for most of my life. Oh, yeah? Because I didn't grow up with a religion. I didn't have a religious basis. I still didn't believe in a God, but I just didn't know why I didn't believe in a God until I came here to Utah and was in the military and seen everybody else being like, yeah, God, this, God, that. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, wait, you, you're, you're telling me people actually believe this shit. It's kind of how I came into realizing, well, fuck, I'm different. Mm-hmm. I'm not well, I, like everyone else. Well, you still are different. True. But, <laughs> <laughs> but now I know well, why. I, I think it's important to not discount the fact that, you know, that there are a massive number of atheists around the world. Mm. Not all of them are skeptics. Not all of them are critical thinkers. That's that's very true. But, you know, th- there's a lot of Christians as well, and they'll brag and boast about their numbers and, and you know, have a considerably large voting block. But And they'll say, you know, look, we have this many hundred million Christians. And many of them don't know why they believe in the Bible. They were just born and raised with it, too. So I think the the key is to you know to to show people whether they're Christian or atheist you know to encourage skepticism and free thought and critical thinking and those who are already atheists who then you know they come across a religious position they're not going to be like the millions of people in atheist countries uh, in you know in Asia that when they're suddenly exposed to Christianity or, or Islam they're you know they flock to it in droves and they're like oh my god this is amazing i had a dream about muhammad therefore it must be true you know instead if if they're equipped with skepticism from the get go they're like wait a second you know this is this seems fishy to me like something hey, here's not right this guy rode a winged yeah. horse to where <laughs> yeah i was also raised on pbs and the discovery channel <laughs> yeah that helps no i think i think you make a great point there uh, to counter, to counter what I said about not ha- not being a good skeptic and being able to use critical thinking, I think I just I prefer that people have a good reason for holding the beliefs that they do. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And and that's why you know oftentimes I'll I'll hear people who you know they might identify with some far left or far right political position or some religious position, and they'll say you know I am this or I am that. And I'm like, okay, that's that's all fine and good, but can you explain what exactly that means to you? You know, so we'll hear words like uh, feminism, which has like a million different shades of, you know, to, to define it. Or you'll hear words, you know, like a social justice warrior, or you'll hear, um, you know, Christian, for example. And it's like, okay, well, but what does that mean? Like what, you know, because that could be anything on a spectrum of a million different positions. And I'm like, I want to hear where they're coming from. I want to hear why they identify as that. Maybe they're attributing a label to themselves that doesn't really mean what it thinks that they mean. Or, you know, maybe they have an amazing position for it and they could win me over. I don't know. I want to, like I said, I want to go where the truth leads. So that's why I want to hear their positions and, and, you know, either solidify mine or abandon it. Yeah, I think that's a great point. So what are you, what is your best argument for a belief in a god and your best argument against a belief Ooh. in a god so best argument for would probably be um fine tuning <laughs> I, I was I, I do think that fine tuning is is up there i don't think that i could really come up with an amazing argument for the biblical god just knowing everything that i know about why it's bs yeah but I could make a pretty strong case that if you <clears throat> if you see the trends that are occurring right now with uh, Moore's Law and, and computing power increasing and us expanding out into the cosmos, and then you look at the sheer number of planets across the world, 
you know, you could argue that, you know, any sufficiently advanced technology would be indistinguishable from gods to us. And so if, if let's say you have that many, you know, billions of planets, it's very unlikely that life just originated on ours. And if, you know, if that's the case, you know, there might be one that is exponentially further along than we are. And eventually, maybe they'd be able to turn back time and become gods. So I think like a cyber deity that's able to harness all the energy in the the universe and, and you know, set back entropy and create, you know, universes and stuff out of thin air. I think that that, you know, you can point to that and be like, yeah, it's actually very likely. But where I think that that goes awry is we have no evidence whatsoever of any kind of encounter with something like this or of anything like that tampering with the laws of physics as we know them or of, you know the the universe as we know it and until we do you have to resort to Occam's razor and say you know what is more likely you know even if it is possible to become some type of deity like that you know some futuristic ultra human cyber god it's still why why couldn't we be the first one it would still have to evolve from somewhere it would still have to originate from some smaller thing and i think when you unnecessarily complicate the equation by saying you know things didn't emerge out of smaller things that slowly evolved and gradually over time uh, became more complicated, which we see this happening. We see almost every step of this process and can observe it. So you wouldn't buy into William Lane Craig's idea of a spaceless, timeless, immaterial God who has just always existed and is therefore outside of any of our traditional notions. Yeah, of the a special, beginning. the special pleading, yeah. nondescript God. Yeah. Tell you what, I'll buy into that as soon as you buy into the invisible unicorn in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you got one of those? <laughs> it farts rainbows. Yes. <laughs> awesome. So what is your best argument against a belief in a god? Um, against a belief in a god, it would be, you know, just it, kind of what I was saying, where, like, you can go all the way back to, you know, the Big Bang, and you can observe cosmic microwave background radiation, and you can observe uh, stellar nuclear genesis, and you can see all the transitional fossils that we have, and DNA evidence, and see, you know, how how uh, life has evolved genetically, and see how, you know, we have um, mutations that are occurring, and we see ring species and speciation, and we, so we see all of this stuff coming about naturally. There just really isn't a need for a god, and we have no evidence for one. We have no evidence for one interacting with us, and we know that humans are prone to make up stories and create legends and myths, and, you know, historically, every single one has been wrong. And if you look at, you know, the 3,000 plus deities that you don't believe in, I find it far more likely that all of them are wrong because, you know, they are mutually exclusive. They can't all be right. Mm -hmm. hmm. I just have cool. I just have one more thing for you. It's a subject that's near and dear to my heart. You did a video on uh, why atheists are angry. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Matt is quite angry. Yeah. <laughs> you... You you did go over quite a few reasons within that video, but you don't really strike me as an angry person, which is fine. Uh, yeah, I'll still accept you anyway, but. Uh, <laughs> How magnanimous of you. <laughs> uh, I'm just curious, what what do you think is the biggest reason you feel angry if you do? I think initially it was, I, I just felt like I'd been lied to. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like I, you know, had the wool thrown over my eyes. Now, if I look at it, I think it's, you know, I, I see how religion has just embedded itself in politics and in power 
And, you know, whether that's covering up sex abuse scandals, you know, because oh, we have to protect the institution and we have to protect children. And no, it is not just in Catholic churches where they rape children and, and hide pedophile priests. There's there's actually a couple of exposés that are going on right now within Protestant denominations. And uh, as well as, you know, you have churches that get special privileges and that are able to have, you know, tax-free status while not, you know, showing their books. They're bilking people out of their money. They're telling people not to take um, their medicine because God will heal them. I know that this isn't every Christian. I know that this isn't every church, but the fact that churches provide a smokescreen for this kind of action, mm-hmm. for the Pope saying, don't use condoms in Africa, for um, you know, Trump to try to repeal the Johnson Amendment, which allows churches to become like a super PAC and endorse political candidates. That stuff, it it really does get my blood boiling because they're held to a different standard, uh, and it's they have no accountability there, and people just let them off the hook because they see it as some type of sacred institution that can't be questioned. Yep, that makes me angry too. Yeah, my blood pressure is going wanted, up. I wanted to say at the at the very end of that video, one of the things that I mentioned is you know I don't. I'm not angry just for the sake of being angry, and I don't think most atheists who come across as, as pissed off are. It's that if we're angry, it's because we give a damn. It's passion. It's because we care. Yeah, it's, it's you know, and, and I'm, I'm actually, I'm in the process of making a video um, on the merits of being a soft-spoken firebrand, because I think that you can be very firebrand about an issue without ever raising your voice or getting pissed off and angry. And I think that you can become much, much more effective and that you actually can have much more influence and control over a situation when you're in control of your demeanor. Is there somebody out there that is like that right now? Besides me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think that there's, there's actually a lot of firebrands now who are uh, kind of going more towards the calm approach. Um, I think a godless skeptic is like that. Sam Harris is like that. Dan Barker. Um, there's a YouTuber called godless cranium. There's another one, rationality rules, um, who, who all have a much more, you know, calm science driven approach rather than just being, you know, pissed off and ranting. Um, but it's, it just depends. Cause sometimes, you know, people would look at someone like Dawkins, who's like one of the most soft spoken people. And they're like, oh man, he's just an asshole. He's always angry and stuff. It's like, well, he's very blunt. He's straight to the point. I don't think that he's mean. Right. But, but people tend to think that even when I'm angry and I'm ranting, they say that I'm, I'm very soft spoken and I don't, I don't always see it, but I just, I don't think that getting angry and throwing a fit and, you know, losing your temper and stuff i don't think that that helps your case at all it just makes it a fight an argument me versus you in group out group your walls go up and i'm not going to convince you cutting, and there's much cutting better... down my whole character here man <laughs> <laughs> i got nothing without that stuff well it's it, it's amazing if um if you think about it if if let's say that um i come into your you know, or, or let's say that, that I'm married and uh, Larry King gave this analogy where, uh, let's say that you come home and your wife is in bed with another man. If you suddenly flip shit and you get angry and you start yelling and screaming and, you know, throwing punches and stuff, you've lost control of not just yourself, but of the situation. And suddenly it's where, you know, maybe before they were in the wrong, suddenly now you have, you know, your part to play in, you know, the, the violence and the anger and, and the way that you reacted. 
if instead you you know you walk in and they're sitting there like with their mouths open like oh crap we've just been caught and instead you're like well this is an incredibly embarrassing situation i'm gonna go downstairs and make a cup of coffee and when you're ready you can come down and we'll have this conversation suddenly you have all the cards in the situation you hold the power you've you've suddenly taken something where you know they know that they've screwed up and instead of you reacting in a negative way which sometimes you know could be justifiable you've shown that you're an even bigger person and you're not only in control of your demeanor you know uh as as a normal person you're like taking it to super saiyan levels and then it's like you know you, you can do that in just about any situation if if you realize if you come to the realization that you know you may not be able to control someone else's opinion or someone else's uh perspective but you can definitely influence their perspective and opinion of you and that can shape the outcome of a conversation or a debate Mm -hmm. well and if you walk in on your spouse who's having sex with somebody else and you calmly say i'm gonna go downstairs and make a cup of coffee when you guys are ready you can come down and we'll talk about this you're probably gonna really freak the fuck out of them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that you that, that's your yeah. reaction they I, I imagine that if i was caught in that situation i would be worried that you would just be slowly setting up all of the various torture devices that i would meet <laughs> once i came downstairs to have the conversation with you well and and so much of it too you know obviously there's a million and one ways that you can say the same thing it's like most of communication is um body language and tone of voice it's only about 30% of communication is actually verbal words. That's why there are people who, they might be very good at uh, talking about something, but they're not effective communicators. They do a, a really poor job of getting a point across. And if if you come into that situation, and let's say that you say exactly the same thing, you're like, oh, well, oh, this is most unfortunate and embarrassing. I'm just going to go downstairs. Suddenly, you seem like a defeatist. You seem like a cuck and a pussy, and like you don't have you know, any kind of backbone. But if you say exactly the same thing and you're like, well, this is awfully embarrassing, you know, I'm going to go downstairs and make coffee. You know, it's like you you have the confidence and the backbone and and the, the gusto to confront the situation, but you're doing it with a different tone of voice and you're doing it with different mannerisms. And when you suddenly have that revelation that, oh my God, every single encounter, whether you like it or not, is a, is an engagement in social engineering, no matter what kind of negative connotations that word has, you suddenly begin to realize that you can grow in this skill. You can level up in a way and you can become a better communicator and you can get points across and you can become a firebrand atheist without being an angry, hand-waving uh, atheist you can be soft-spoken and be extremely effective in your message yeah yeah i agree and matt is very firebrandy in studio when we talk about different things and watch watch videos and rant just about in the them. studio but honestly no. dude online you are much more calm oh, yeah. and reserved than i oh, am. oh well that's not yeah that i don't i don't use that particular style when i'm engaged in a conversation or a yeah. debate yeah that's just, it's, it's just a my, cathartic it's my, thing. Yeah, it's my, it's the, your, the podcast is for other people who are also frustrated to just hear like minded people. It's not about yeah. convincing anybody. Yeah. 
Oh, and I, I don't want for a second for it to sound like I'm saying that um, everyone should follow the same cookie cutter approach and method. You know, you have people like David Silverman who, you know, he's very firebrand and he throws up billboards and he gets in people's faces and stuff. And they'll say, oh, man, you know, why do you have to be a dick? But at the same time, you know, he can point to because of those billboards, because of those appearances, you know, people are not only searching for atheism more online. You can look at the Google trends, but he, he'll also point to how atheism and people who identify as atheist is on the rise. So they might see that search for it and come across someone whose approach is more appealing to them. They might be so pissed off in their neighborhood that they just want to hear somebody rant and they don't, they're not an atheist themselves, but they're sick of, of, uh, you know, they, they, they're in support of church state separation. And suddenly they hear an atheist that's ranting about something that they really agree with. Maybe they're very liberal, but they're still uh, religious in one way or another. And so, you know, having an angry rant might be right up their alley. You know, it just depends. And the the medium, too. You know, if I'm on a podcast versus in-person versus in-person doing a debate or in-person having a conversation over tea, I'm going to adopt completely different approaches. Right. Right. Well, you've been incredibly generous with your time tonight. Indeed. I know we've we've had you for over an hour now. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about or address that we haven't touched on? Well, I'd just like to encourage your your listeners that you know if, if they're atheists and they're listening to this, they're definitely not alone. Um, I put together on my site a a thing, a resource. If you go to the homepage, holykool-aid.com, there's find an atheist community near you. If you scroll down, you can find it. And, you know, there, there are communities out there, both online and in person. It's a massive growing movement and there's all different kinds of voices. If they like my style and like my work, um, they're more than welcome to subscribe to my channel. It's a uh, youtube.com slash holykool-aid, all one word, kool-aid with a K and no dash. And um, I'm all over social media there. You can find it through my my website and my channel. And it's great. It is all great stuff. I mean, I you know, obviously we have a slightly different style with, with some things, but it's still totally beneficial for me to check out too. So I don't think you should limit yourself to somebody that likes your style exactly. Just go check it out. There's something well, there for everybody. You know, even if they, they don't necessarily uh, like, you know, animations or think that my animation's crap or don't like my approach, like a lot of these these arguments it's really hard to find someone who takes a specific argument like the fine-tuning fallacy and just really really limits it down to five or ten minutes without wasting your time without rattling on or being boring and you know so you know you might have a, a creationist friend who spits off one of these you know platitudes and you either don't know how to respond to it or don't have time to respond to it and you just you know you can either link to them one of my videos as I amass a bigger library of responses, or you can watch it and learn some of these things, take the the points that you like, discard the ones you don't, and and use it to come up with your own um, persuasive method of, of discussion. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you as a guest. Awesome. Hey, thank, thank you guys so much for having me, and, and thank you for all that you guys do. Oh, well, well, thank you very much, man. I appreciate that. Hi, this is Megan Kennedy. I'm a speaker with the Satanic Temple. You can find me on Twitter at Six Moments, and you're listening to The Godless Revolution. What does Christianity say? Ah, those laws can be suspended, and in your favor, too, if you make the right prayers and propitiations and sacrifices. There can be a virgin can conceive, a dead body can walk again, your leprosy can be cured, the blind can see. Nonsense. It's not moral to lie to children. 
It's not moral to lie to ignorant, uneducated people and to tell them that if they will only believe nonsense, they can be saved. It's immoral. Thank you to everybody who has rated the show on iTunes and Stitcher and are following us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And to all our Patreon patrons, you make the show possible. Well, we've had one submission in the Trump tweet translator. I'm not 100% this went through the translator. It had to have. Because it comes from the Purple Dragon. He's not going to lie to us about such a thing. Well, he gave us the original quote, so we could do it and check. So oh, yeah, we that could. is true. We could. But we can check his work. Having done 150 of these, <laughs> I, it looks it looks legit. <laughs> okay. I, it looked a little suspicious to me at first. So Grant posted his, his Trump tweet that he generated through Matt's formula, which is what again? So you take an eloquent quote or tweet. Uh, I started with Obama, so that's where how I came up with the method. Run it through Hawaiian, which is where Obama was born. Run it through Swahili, the language of Kenya, where Obama's actually from. <laughs> and then from Swahili to Arabic, because he's a secret Muslim. Right. True. And then from Arabic back to English. And some of the Hawaiian words will stay in Hawaiian the whole way. They won't translate through Swahili or anything. And oh, really? so sometimes I'll just translate that word from Hawaiian to English and then put it back in the sentence. And then it all... Makes nonsense at the end. <laughs> <laughs> it all generates a Trump tweet. But Grant had posted that on the Godless Revolution uh, Facebook page. The original tweet or the original bit of text says, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. And the result of running it through Matt's, Matt's algorithm to generate a Trump tweet, the results are, Give me your business, your job, your warmth crowd. And your coastal abuse. See, that sounds exactly like what fucking Trump would say. That's why he seems suspicious. The formula works, man. <laughs> it worked too well. But you said That's that you funny. had you had generated others as well. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, we could do that. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> you had all your you, papers. You, you didn't. Nice you didn't there. see this coming, did you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I got a bunch of different ones. Uh, <clears throat> I just did the ones that I thought were the best. So he, some of these are well-known quotes and others, maybe not as much, but this one is from Wayne Gretzky. You, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you never take. Right. Yep, we all yep, know I know that one. one. Yeah. So yeah. if Trump had said it now, 100 bucket for you, mischief. <laughs> no 100 bucket for you mischief now 100 now bucket 100 for you bucket. mischief okay okay <laughs> when hungry eat your rice when tired close your eyes fools may laugh at me but wise men will know what I mean Lin Chi mm. uh, if Trump had said it I want start with your rice in the crap that closes your eyes 18 theater is a fool of me <laughs> but really my tongue trick <laughs> now I want to know what his tongue trick is. <laughs> I don't. Oh, <laughs> I'm. I am not at all interested in learning. It may explain why Melania is. sticks around. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this one, the original quote is: "Do not seek to follow in the footsteps of the men of old. Seek what they sought." Good advice. Hmm? This translation I did twice. Translation, okay. I like that. Just to make sure that it come, came out right. And <laughs> was, it, it was, was it too good? And it did. <laughs> it's just weird. Okay. Um, 
Khloe Kardashian search old foot. What search engine? <laughs> Confucius say what? It, it did bring up Khloe Kardashian. Wow. That's weird. I know. I think because there's a semicolon in it and I think it turned it to an at symbol in Hawaiian and then somehow that at symbol I don't know if it just grabbed maybe her Twitter handle or something. She's maybe got the most at whatever thing. Yeah, I don't know. Huh. Would it be Chloe though? I don't know. But anyway, but yeah, that's, yeah, that well, that's a, a good one. question. I don't, I don't know the sisters very well. Yeah. Uh, this quote from Lao Tzu Watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. Hmm. Uh, the translation, check the answers, they are words. <laughs> check your chatter, it's practical. <laughs> check your work, become commonplace. <laughs> check your behavior, they were silent. See meat, be a horse. <laughs> <laughs> see meat, see meat be a horse. M-E-A-T, see meat. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> Hopefully it's not horse meat. <laughs> uh, this quote from George Christoph Lichtenberg. Everyone is a genius at least once a year. The real geniuses simply have their bright ideas closer together. Mm. The translation. These people plan more than once a year. Kaka. Real close their minds. Kaka. <laughs> 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 That's really an underused word. Kaka. It, it is, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Marcel Proust said, the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new lands, but seeking, but seeing with new eyes. Huh. The translation, safari trip to practical evaluation. To locals, new, but really with new eyes. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you are getting better at your Trump uh, impersonation, oh. too. Oh, thanks. Um, maybe it's because I've done a million of these already. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that one, eh. Got one more for us? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Make it the second best. Maybe two. We'll All right. There's one that I thought I was looking for, but. Okay. All right. So this one's from Carl Sagan. Uh, just the fact that some geniuses were laughed at does not imply that all who are laughed at are geniuses. Mm. They laughed at Columbus. They laughed at Fulton. They laughed at the Wright brothers. But they also laughed at Bozo the Clown. Mm-hmm. He's a fucking genius. <laughs> the translation. Honesty just said, some may not be the cause of pride. Columbus laughed. The laugh, it's Fulton. The laugh for the Wright brothers. But the laugh them, bozo. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like how he would piece all of that together in his mind. Too. I know. I wonder if some of the words get twisted because in Arabic it goes from right to left instead mm-hmm. of left to right. Yeah, I, and I think some major weirdness happens in Hawaiian to Swahili, okay. which is so unrelated, <laughs> that it breaks it down to its most basic levels, which mm. is all that Trump speaks in. True. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, well, I'll finish with this one. I do have other ones, but we'll, oh, we'll, move, we'll, we'll move along. we got more shows. Uh, this one's from Charles Kettering. An inventor is simply a fellow who doesn't take his education too seriously. The translation, I was cheating just with her fisherman. Just with the fisherman. Yep. (laughs) Awesome. Very nice. 
I like those. Yeah, they're they're fun. <laughs> and if you're bored at home, do one and send it to us. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Send it to us at uh, godlessrevolution at gmail dot com, or you can post it out on our Facebook page, and we will read it during the show. You had more other things? Yes, I do. This uh, little piece of paper was given to Danielle in Venice. Oh. And it contains some very important information. It is a little all... piece of paper. It's it like, is. Yeah. In Venice, paper is smaller. Oh. <laughs> that we all need to know. Um, it's about the impending uh, death of the earth. Then I must know. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Scary. These are two cows were born on the same day. No, it does, <laughs> it does start that way. <laughs> Uh, as reported by the Associated Press, press the symbol, uh, this symbolic day in the Jewish calendar occurs once every seven years. They symbolize the two sets of seven cows in Joseph's dream. Following me so far? Okay. <laughs> okay. The biggest event in human history will occur on September 23rd, 2017. That's, that's pretty fucking close. We, we I know. We get... have a specific date. Yeah. Can we uh, start stockpiling some of them food buckets? And did, did you say what's going to happen yet? Oh, the biggest. Oh. Okay. The rapture of the true followers of Jesus is what's oh. going to happen. Oh, next month? Mm-hmm. Fuck, I hope so. Get them out. Yeah. <laughs> the disappearance of his true disciples, not cultural Christians. Oh. Well. Chaos will ensue in the world. It will be time to repent to God, not to a priest. It will be well. proof that praying... Two or asking Mary for favors is heresy and false idol worship. Yeah, fuck Mary. It will prove that biblical Christianity is true and that man-made additions to the Bible, like Jehovah's Witnesses and Catholicism, <laughs> are untrue and deception. <laughs> it will also prove that New Age spirituality is spiritual deception. Mm. After the rapture, a demonic supernatural apparition will appear as Mary, like at Fatima and Guadalupe. Mm. Uh, it will be satanic deception. Do not follow this demon or the Pope or receive a mark or, the Pope. <laughs> or, or receive a mark of the beast spoken in, of in Revelation 13, 17. I thought these were all like, wait, I thought at first you'd be like, follow these signals. And then it's like, no, don't follow them shit there, the devil. I'm like, wait. Oh, that was I'm... just funny. Do not follow this demon or the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> it's very clear that the Catholic Church is, quote, mystery Babylon. In Revelation 17 and 18, the Pope is the Antichrist in Daniel and in Revelation. I thought the Catholic Church was the whore of Babylon. I don't know what these- That's just their bedrooms. Well, that was a Mormon thing. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Yeah, that was Bruce R. McConkie. Yeah, okay. Aliens and abductions will also be demonic deception. Wait. What? So now they're saying aliens exist. Are they? Well, yeah. If you're abducted by aliens, it's a- Demonic possession. Deception. Deception, yeah. So, I'm confused. Are space aliens real or not? And are the lizard people also real? I don't know if it's clear. It's <laughs> They're saying that aliens and abductions will be will also be a demonic deception. So, is the deception that- It the, happened or it didn't or, happen? Or is the deception that the demons are pretending to be aliens? Ooh. Good point. Uh, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs- and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. <laughs> they they refuse to love the truth? They're like, ah, oh, fuck it. Yeah. All, oh, I, it's all I the know Trumps. it's true, but I hate it. It's all the Donald Trumps <laughs> and the Kellyanne Conways <laughs> mm-hmm. with their alternative facts. Yeah, Therefore, God facts. sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned. 
Well, that's fucked Wait, up. Wait, yeah, so God's sending them this delusion no. to believe false things, so it's God's fucking fault <laughs> yeah. again. What a dick. Who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. To learn more, go to clearlywritten.net. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, they're clearlywritten.net when that is not written clearly. <laughs> no, this website is filled with the most amazing information you have ever heard on a wide variety of subjects. <laughs> I probably will be amazed. <laughs> So there you go. From Venice. <laughs> wow. With and not Venice Beach, where people are quack jobs. From Venice, Italy. Where people are quack jobs. <laughs> quack jobs. Whatever that Apparently, means. Apparently, <laughs> they are quack jobs. A quack job? Yeah, I'm like the people that like, the wooey people that sit on Venice Beach and try to sell you crazy it sounds shit. Like, it mm. sounds like the title of a bestiality porn. <laughs> Get over here, you mother ducker. You wooey quack job. <laughs> you ain't never had a quack job like this. <laughs> Wait till he gets the bill. <laughs> Hello, I'm Lloyd Evans. I'm a former Jehovah's Witness. I'm the author of The Reluctant Apostate and senior editor of JWSurvey.org. And you are listening to The Godless Revolution. I think it is really important to recognize, as has been said, that science does not make it impossible to believe in God. It just makes it possible to not believe in God. And, <laughs> and, and that's really important because until you had science, everything was a miracle. If you have questions, comments, concerns, compliments, corrections, criticisms, or concepts for content, contact the show via email at godlessrevolution at gmail.com, by text or voicemail at 330-81-REBEL, or Twitter the twatter at TGR Podcast. Thank you! Yeah, as I say, do you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah, our our good friend of the show, Mr. Uh, Taylor Grin, has a new project that he's starting and will be rolling out shortly, and has aggregated some news for us. Um, I'm really excited about this project he's got going. It's he's an amazing writer first, yeah. and does a shit ton of research, and always gives us great information. Um. So he I'm, is not fake news. No, <laughs> no. I'm I'm really looking forward to when this whole thing rolls mm-hmm. out. I've I I the only thing that I've read on it so far is is his main intro thing. Uh, I've been busy with a bunch of other stuff. I haven't had a chance to read uh, much else on it, but it's pretty impressive. I'm yeah. I learned actually. I learned, I learned a whole shitload about Taylor just from the one thing that he that he posted as kind of a about him yeah. and and getting to know the sources and stuff like that. Uh but he sent us sent us a link to this and it just says a whole lot of news today. I'm going to cover as much as I can. Of course, Sebastian Gorka has quit the White House. Yeah. It's uncertain whether this is because he has links to a Nazi party and the White House was trying to distance themselves from him in the wake of Charlottesville, or it could be the fact that his PhD was probably from a mail in university. Maybe it was because he was fired from the FBI. Regardless, good riddance. Get the fuck it's, out of there. He should have, he shouldn't have quit. If Trump had any kind of moral compass at all, he never would have been there in the first exactly. place. Exactly. And then once he was in there and, and people let Trump know what kind of a shit stain Gorka was, he should have fucking fired him. He shouldn't wait for Gorka to resign. But Trump hires, he's, he's going to bring the best people in. I know all the best people. Dude, if I was Trump, I'd be like, 
you got to be fucking kidding me. I am not going to sit here and say Gorka a bunch of times every day. <laughs> no, we're not hiring him. <laughs> I don't even know if he can say Gorka. That sounds like the that sounds like the noise he would make when getting in or out of a chair. Oh, I thought you were going to say when he orgasms. <laughs> From a duck. <laughs> uh, in other news, Trump has pardoned disgraced former Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Uh, so the, the pardon actually happened? So so really the example that he set here is, is if that you're a you racist can, fuck. Yeah, if you're a racist fuck and want to break the law, go ahead and do it and I'll pardon you. If you want to if you want to break the law against minorities in this country, sure. This this is what he's Trump has been saying in every way possible since the beginning. Yeah. Juan Taylor says that this has raised deep concerns among some experts as it will considerably weaken the checks and balances of the Constitution as Arpaio was convicted of contempt of court for disobeying in order to cease unlawfully targeting Latinos in his hunt for illegal immigrants. Yeah. And Trump, well, that's what Trump pardoned him for, yeah. is for hunting down illegal immigrants. And breaking court mm-hmm. orders, and Trump pardons him for that. Pardons him for doing something specifically and explicitly fucking racist. And all this really yeah. does is give a signal to all the other sheriffs out there that want to do shit like this, but no, it's fucking illegal. Like, hey, yeah, if I do matter. this, I'm on Trump's side. Guess what? He'll probably pardon me too for doing fucking good work. Yeah, he's providing even more cover for racists mm-hmm. after saying that there are good people on good people on, on both sides. sides, and then not saying. Not saying it because he didn't say it in Arizona. He changed. He quoted himself in Arizona, but he changed the quote to make it not as bad. Yeah, during his fucking bullshit yeah. rally. Uh, Trump has also signed a memo today. I saw this breaking, and just as I was getting off work today at four thirty, signed a memo banning transgender Americans from serving in the armed forces. This, of course, follows his fucking Twitter announcement yeah. that he was going to do this, when, and no one else knew that it was going to happen. Yeah. That he just was sitting on the toilet one day and thought, you know, I really don't want to have to share this toilet with anybody else yeah. that I don't know, because who knows what they're going to be doing. Uh, however, he has given Defense Secretary Mattis considerable discretion in executing this ban. The ban is a reversal of policy Obama set last year that would have integrated transgender Americans into the services openly. An estimated 2,000 to 11,000 active duty and reserve troops are transgender, according to a 2016 study by the RAND Corporation. It, well, and the really fucked up thing is, is there was Trump wanted a, uh, an, not an investigation, but a study done on what are the effects of transgender troops in the military, how much they're costing, all that kind of stuff. It's supposed to be a six month long thing. He didn't wait a month and a half mm-hmm. to say, well, fuck the study. We're just going to get rid of them. Yeah. Well, and the other coverage that I read on this said that they're, you know, that he's giving Mattis time to come up with a policy on this to determine if they're going to keep members in the military yeah. who are already serving and if they're going to well and i think part of the guidance was that they would deny uh claims for uh surgery mm-hmm. and unless it was somehow medically necessary that that it be done it's just it's it's a complete clusterfuck yeah. but, but but does it make it so maddest can say well guess what i don't mind transgender troops serving and neither do the other generals so we're not going to do this well this will show us for sure what kind of person mattis is yeah i mean he can he can take a hard-ass hard-nosed bigoted view toward all of this and implement it in the way that a bunch of conservative christians would like him to or he can be a compassionate human being and recognize that not everybody 
that that not everybody can live up to some Christian ideal, which is fucking false and bullshit anyway, and and just be a decent human being and allow them to stay in the service, give them all the care that they need, mm-hmm. just as they would for any other troop. Yeah. What do you think the chances are of that happening with a Marine general, old white guy in the Trump administration? <sighs> I don't know. I mean, there are some smart, compassionate, caring old and white guys. And I've heard, uh, yeah, posi- yeah, but I'm just saying, statistically, it seems very unlikely given the grouping of, uh, of, uh, what's the fucking word? Uh, uh characteristics and, and traits, uh, uh, oh, yeah. uh whatever. What, I can't think of it, but whatever, well, whatever goes into compiling the, who Mattis is mm-hmm. seems very unlikely. I've, I, I've, I've heard some positive things from some, some other people that served under Mattis and the, the way that he treated them in a way that they, they you know, he ex- mm. what he expected. And I've heard a lot of people say, yeah, Mattis was very big on saying, you know, you don't pick political sides. So even if you do, you agree or disagree with what the leader is saying, you don't pick a side. Well, you, you some can, nice anecdotes. You've well, got you there. can still like basically saying he, his, his big thing, like to a lot of Marines was, Hey, not to have the infighting going on, not to have yeah, it being yeah, like, yeah. well, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. Get rid of that shit. Mm-hmm. You're a fucking Marine and that's it. And then he gets in on a, the hardest Republican administration we've ever had. Well, because Mattis was known to be a bulldog, but doesn't mean that the guy didn't also can't also have compassion. He's a compassionate bulldog. Well, say, he was bulldog towards yeah. enemies. I didn't say he can't. I just would be very surprised if he if he shows that. Well, we'll, we'll see. Fi- we'll find out here in the coming months. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we'll we'll see what kind of person. Like I said before, we'll see what kind of person Mattis yeah. is because he's given him wide latitude here. Yeah. So. We shall see. Also, Montana U.S. Rep. Greg Gianforte was photographed and fingerprinted mm. Friday. This is after he sued in an. This is after he sued in an attempt to receive special treatment to avoid being booked normally. This guy's <laughs> such a fucking bitch. I hate this guy so much. Gianforte was charged with misdemeanor assault for which he pled guilty mm-hmm. for body slamming a reporter asking yep. him about the ACA repeal bill then in Congress. Gianforte paid $50,000 to committee to project journalists and nearly 5000 in medical fees to the reporter in order to avoid jail time. Yeah, but 5000 covered the reporter's fucking hospital, his ambulance ride. Well, or a, or a night stay in a hospital bed. Yeah. Well, I would imagine that the reporter would have taken no less than at least covering his medical bills. Yeah. Yeah. But you shouldn't be able to just buy your way out of jail. No. Either. Right. That, that's another example of how rich people get away with shit and fucking poor people don't have the opportunity to mm-hmm. get away with shit. Special counsel Robert Mueller issued grand jury subpoenas for six PR companies le- linked to Paul Manafort. Hmm. Manafort is suspected of being involved in Russia activities in the government of Ukraine and media reports that he may be investigated for money laundering. It is also being reported that Mueller is investigating Michael Flynn for soliciting the leaked Clinton emails from Russia. Hmm. And I have a, I have a question about the whole Manafort thing because we just saw Donald Trump pardon Joe Arpaio for for directly breaking the fucking law for knowingly purposefully breaking the law in order to do whatever he wanted to do and the president approving of those actions and then offering him a pardon. Especially after Arpaio was warned, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Right. And then did it again. Like, well, now you're arrested. Right. So my question stems around that whole concept. 
and knowing that Ma- that they've they're really putting the screws to Manafort, right? They they raided his home. The FBI did uh, took a bunch of files, computers, pouring through all of that. They've been questioning him. We've got this recent news that uh, Mueller has gotten grand jury subpoenas for the six PR companies linked to Manafort, and they're they're putting they're putting pressure on Manafort to have him provide whatever evidence mm-hmm. he can or will. But if Manafort looks at recent news of Trump pardoning people, what what kind of real threat can the U.S. government bring down on Manafort? If Manafort thinks in his own mind, I can do and say whatever the fuck or not say anything and you can prosecute me, you can you can give me jail time, you can do whatever, but as soon as you do, as long as I don't fucking talk, the president's just going to pardon me. Yeah. Well, that information still comes out into the real world. Yeah, though. but it has, no implica- it and it has no implications either. No, well, in order to get pardoned, you have to be convicted. Okay, but they can convict Manafort. I mean, they're gathering all of this yeah. information on Manafort and hoping that he'll roll over on Trump, right? Yeah. And so if he doesn't roll over on Trump and he's sent to jail and Trump knows Manafort had all of this other information he could have given them and he didn't, the government really has no power to to compel well, Manafort to give them the information no. that they want on Trump because Trump will just fucking pardon him. Now, I, I don't know if Trump would just pardon him if, 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 it, if Manafort puts a black eye on Trump. But it, what? why would he do that? If he still has information around, if his computers actually do link anything back to Trump and he, he gets Trump in trouble, mm. why the fuck would Trump want to pardon him then? It's still a valid And if, concern, if he doesn't though. have anything that actually is incriminating in Trump or incriminating well, himself, that, he wouldn't serve time anyways. But that would be just them finding information through investigative process. But yeah. I, I'm saying that they they have no real pressure to bring on Paul Manafort to just give them the information to avoid prosecution. Right. Because he can just say- you know, I, I, yeah, I may have information, but I'm not going to fucking tell well, you. Or, and you can, you can pressure me all you want, but your pressure means fucking nothing to me. You yeah. can, t- you can threaten me with jail time. You can threaten me with prison, but none of that means anything to me because as soon as you sentence me to prison, the president's going to fucking pardon me. That's not a guarantee. Well, of course it's not a guarantee. But, but, it why is, would he, but if he does roll over on Trump and give the information, he could have a guaranteed out right there. If the FBI says, hey, if you give us what we need, and, you know, go through the whole thing. And if you become, you know, you, you spill the beans, mm-hmm. we can guarantee you no jail time. Yeah. But what Dan is saying is that the jail time is not a threat because Trump can just pardon him if he keeps his mouth shut. So uh, either well, way. Well, what I'm saying is the par- a pardon from Trump is not a 100% guarantee. Right. But it does but raise. But you can get a 100%. It does raise a question. Yes. It does raise concerns about the level of corruption and how yeah. far this administration is willing to go to shave its ass, which so far we haven't seen the limits to. And I we, think that's a good point. We, we don't know. Maybe they did have a conversation and Trump did tell Manafort, hey, guess what? If you do get convicted, I'll fucking pardon you. That could have happened. Behind the, the, other doors. Thing, the other thing about this that drives me crazy is. is no fucking Trump supporter knows any of this shit. They don't look at news like this. They don't figure well, stuff out. No, it's they have no fucking news. idea that any of this is going on. And then when the impeachment comes, they're going to fucking lose their heads M- because they think that it's liberals getting their way and whining and complaining because we yeah, lost. Yeah. And and the fucking libtard cucks are just trying to get their way by throwing out our guy. But we won fair and square. And it's going to be coming, that. And they're going yeah, to well. fucking raise hell about it. Well, and they're going to think that it's coming out of nowhere because they don't pay attention yeah, exactly. Exactly. Any other news source besides fucking Newsmax, Breitbart, and Fox. Yeah, and that's going to just fuel the fire that's already there. Yeah. Yeah. But we have run out of time. We had a bunch more news. 
that we that we were going to cover, but Ooh, you know what we can do though? Huh. We can cover cover some of that in Patreon. Yes, we can. But only if you get to listen. <laughs> yeah, we will be moving to the Patreon portion of the show momentarily. Or very quickly. Momentarily? Not momentarily. Momentarily. In a moment. After we pee? Maybe. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I could do that. Um but thank you all very much for listening. Thank you all very much to our Patreon supporters. Yes. We picked up another Patreon supporter this week. Ooh. We want to thank everybody who is currently donating to the show. That would be Larry Wilson, Marius Butrakowski, Dr. Dan, Matt's boss from the 2SC podcast, to whom we pledge loyalty, Janet Uter, Let Them Eat Kafefi, Stephen Andrus, Mo Cowbell, Christy Kalbach, and our newest donor oh. is Anonymous. Ooh. Mm. Their their name is not a, is not anonymous, but there's just there's nothing there. They're, oh, they they forgot to fill it out. Or fill it, but the I don't think they forgot. I mean, I I oh. imagine that they just because they've been a member of Patreon since January. Oh, okay. And there's just no name there. Oh, okay. So I I don't really know how to refer to our newest Patreon patron other than saying that they have left their name blank. Uh, Perhaps in order to remain anonymous. I was just hoping that the an- the anonymous hackers were our patronage. So maybe we should think of a friendly name for them. A friendly, uh, you know what name springs to mind when I think friendly name of a thing that's not really there is Casper. Oh. The friendly ghost. Yeah. It's almost like it was planned. <laughs> it wasn't really. I just, <laughs> I just thought there, there's no name and they're a friendly person to the show. All right. Uh, also, Megan Kennedy, Andrew Vodapitch. Whoa. We know Vodapitch. We know that guy. <laughs> yeah, he was just sitting here last week. <laughs> Andrew Vodapitch. Thank you very much, Andrew. Uh, Alicia Gerhardt, Brandy Hamrick, Jeremy Goodson, Angelica Pearson, Andy Faulkner, Utah Outcasts, Wes Aaron, Taylor Grin. Fuck you and your I still don't qualify rules, Mr. Grant Larimer. <laughs> Savit Acuna and the gaytheist, Mr. Aaron oh. Burton. Thank you all so yeah. much. Uh, we we really appreciate it. You guys definitely definitely help keep us motivated, help mm-hmm. keep help keep the show going and hopefully improving all of the time. Yeah. If you would like to become a Patreon supporter, you can do so by going to patreon.com/godlessrevolution. We would greatly appreciate it and it will allow us to do other things and continue improving the show for all of you fine people who are out there listening. And so, until next week, Crucify that like button. Leave a review to achieve nirvana. And rate the show five times a day toward Mecca. Sometimes when this place gets kind of empty. Sound of their breath fades with the light I think about the loveless fascination Under the Milky Way tonight Lower the curtain down Lower the curtain down, alright I got no time for private consultation 
Well, let's move on we'll to our interview, interview with, with Thomas. <laughs> 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 Can't you just edit that? Isn't that easy to... <laughs>
All right, sorry. Yes, yeah, so I'll just cut yours, <laughs> your voice. Yeah, out just of cut that'll, mine out. That'll be easy to do in the one track that's recording. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, that actually startled me a little bit. <laughs> I was like, "What the fuck is?" <laughs> I'm like, "These spiders are big. Holy shit!" And they can fucking fart. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a mouse now. I met Dan at uh, the American Atheist Convention last weekend. Yes. Ah. It was a pleasure to meet you. You're a super nice guy. Oh, you are too. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, so we'll... we'll we, uh... we should start a club or something. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was thinking, man, you guys had a real romantic time. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Coolio lately? No, is he all fucked up? He's still holding on to them dreads, but he's bald. Oh, really? <laughs> Are they clear back? It's, Does it's, he look like Predator? Well, it, it goes back a little bit, but it's like, dread, no hair. Dread, no hair. Dread, no hair. Just kind of scooping him into uh, the occasional dread where he can. Pretty much. It's, it's, he's looking bad. <laughs> it's been a fantastic voyage. I was though. thinking the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Swear yeah. next time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I dropped a couple. Yeah. <laughs>